What's up? How are you guys doing? We good? Good, good, good. Hey, my name is Ryan Rohan. I'm the campus pastor here at Stone Creek. Many of you guys may not know who I was. I was actually hired on March 16th this past year. I came into the office, pumped up, ready to go. And then Steven sent me home for six months because of COVID. And we had to, we had to work from home for the next six months. And so I'm back here. I'm here, I'm real, I'm not just on a camera. Well, some of you guys, I'm still just on a camera, but I'm a live person. I am pumped to be here today. Hey, we're in a series called Jesus Over Everything. And that's what we believe. That, that's what we bleed. There's no, there's no bluffs, there's nothing up our sleeves that, that we, we wanna preach Jesus and Jesus over everything. And so when we decided as pastors, as we were gathered into a room and we said, man, when people come back into our building, what do we wanna teach? Like, what do we want to be known for as we plant a different campus in Sandy Springs? Like, what do we want the people to know and believe? And we just, we were very synonymous. We, we want them to know Jesus. We, we want them to believe in Jesus. And we want people to believe and know and maybe have the hope for the first time in their lives that Jesus, he's over everything. And Jesus is over 2020. And Jesus is over fear. And Jesus is over religion. And today, Jesus is over every generation and the generations to come. Every single one of us is part of a generation. From the beginning of time, you've been labeled a specific generation. I, I didn't want to go back forever and ever, but, but one of the first generations is the silent generation. You're 75 to 95 years old. Anybody a silent generation? I'm just kidding. Don't raise your hand. Yet you have the silent generation. And then you have the baby boomers. The, the baby boomers are anywhere between 56 and 73. You were known the increase of the baby boomers of when the soldiers came back from World War II. Generation X. You are 40 to 55. You're known as the rebellious generation. Millennials, anywhere from 24 to 39, you grew up in the turn of the millennium in the year 2000. And you have Gen Z. Anybody who's being born today until 23 years old. And every one of these generations have been influenced either by the generations before them or even technology. You have the silent generation, right? The radio. You have the baby boomers, the TV. You have Gen X, the internet. You have the millennials. You have smartphones and computers. And then you have Gen Z, who has the iPhone, and, and, and it's, it's ruling their lives. We, we have stereotyped all different generations that have come before us and after us. So some of these stereotypes are real. Some of these are judgmental. Silent generation, you are stereotyped as the hardest working generation. You are proud Americans. Baby boomers, you put your careers first and maybe your kids second. Gen X is cynical because baby boomers, you put your job over parenting. Millennials, you may have unrealistic expectations and you have that love for avocado toast and man buns. Gen Z, this is just a stereotype. Gen Z, you're just stereotyped as lazy because your smartphones do everything for you. Do you think this is true? Is this true about your generation or the generations before you or after you? Do you find yourself looking at the generations before you and passing judgment on them? Do you look at, look, looking at generations that are coming after you and just going, man, when I was your age, I mean, I'm just 36 years old. And I find myself doing that for the first time in my life as I'm talking to younger pastors. Oh, when I was your age. And I'm going, what is going on? You're passing judgment on the generations before or the generations to come. But the reality about generations in our world, right, is every generation has birthed some pretty unique people. Some people that have changed the world. 
that the people have, 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 have driven the path before us that we begin to follow. Silent Generation, we have MLK. We have Jane Fonda. <laughs> we have Baby Boomers. We have Donald Trump and Barack Obama. And Gen, Gen X, we have Elon Musk, Tyra Banks, and Jay-Z. Millennials, you have Mark Zuckerberg, Beyonce, and Prince Henry. Gen Z, I mean, we don't know. We don't know what's coming. Maybe just a, a crazy famous YouTuber. But I mean, we have no idea what's coming on in this next generation. Do you wonder what's coming on in this next generation, in this now generation? Do you wonder what's going to happen to the people that are zero to 23? What kind of impact they're going to make on the world? I, I think so often we believe that the generations before you create your path. Baby boomers, you were formed because of the soldiers coming back from war. Millennials stay at home until they're 30 because Gen X became these helicopter parents trying to force your kids in bubbles and now you wonder why they won't leave your house. I mean, some people believe that the greatest generation is their current generation. But, but what if we actually believe something different? What if we actually believe this next generation, Gen Z, the now generation, the generation that's up and coming, what if, what if we believe they could actually be the best generation to come? Can I pray with us? Jesus, thank you so much for this time. Jesus, thank you so much for this place. Thank you so much for these people. I pray, Jesus, that you'll speak something new into our hearts. I pray, Jesus, that you'll revive something that's dead. I pray, Jesus, that you will just unlock something that's been locked and thrown away for years or forever. I pray, Jesus, everyone in this room and everyone online can have hope this morning. I believe and pray, Jesus, that everyone will have a purpose. And I pray, Jesus, that we could all come together and make this next generation the best generation to come. If you have your Bibles, we can open up in Mark chapter 10. And Jesus is traveling through Judea and he's hanging out with his disciples and, and um, some, some Pharisees of the time, some church leaders of the time kind of come and, and, and start asking Jesus some questions about divorce. It's kind of interesting. Trying to catch Jesus in a lie. And some, some, so he, he begins to talk with these Pharisees and these church leaders. And then he kind of gives them the answer. And then him and his disciples go back into a home and begin to have this kind of after the sermon discussion. And he's hanging out with disciples, maybe going to the next level, maybe going to a little bit deeper. And we catch up the conversation in Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. It says, and they, in the middle of the house, and they were bringing children to him. They, moms, dads, uncles, aunts, we don't know. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he became indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. But when Jesus saw it, he... Oh, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not believe the kingdom of God, like a child, shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms, and they blessed them, laying his hands on them. Jesus having this conversation with his disciples, and moms and dads and aunts and uncles and grandparents being able to knock on the door and kind of open the door and go, Hey, Jesus, are you busy? Hey, hey real quick, little Matthew, can, 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 you, just, can you just pray over Matthew? Hey, hey, here, here, here's my daughter, Ashley. Can you, just, can you just touch her and bless her and pray over her? 
And although that, this may seem kind of odd or maybe this, this massive faithful generation of people coming to Jesus and, and burdening him or, or opening up the door when the door was closed, this was a common occurrence in the Jewish culture. Early on in their days, moms and dads would take their kids to rabbis so the rabbis would pray three things over them. Number one, that they would be famous in the law, that they would know the scriptures. These rabbis would, would, would pray over these kids and pray that their heart would be transformed by the Bible and by the, by the word of God. Hey, parents, look right at me for a second. Do your parents know the script? I mean, do your kids know the scriptures? Do they know the Bible stories? It's such a delight when, when Bradley, my three-year-old, comes home from church on Sunday and I ask him, man, what did you learn? A couple weeks ago, he learned about little baby Moses and all he knew was that a little baby was in a basket and the baby goes, Wah. <laughs> but he's learning the scriptures. Do your kids know the scriptures? Hey, adults, do you know the scriptures? Do you actually love reading the Bible? Do you believe the Bible will transform you? Do you think the Bible will lead the path before you? Do you actually read your Bible and do your kids see you reading the Bible? Again, I have a five-year-old daughter, Riley, a three-year-old son, Bradley, and a one-year-old uh, girl named Carly. We are in the weeds. And I'm still under the impression and the belief that my kids think I'm a superhero and they will always think I'm a superhero. Don't bust the bubble for me, parents of teenagers. But my kids follow every lead I make. The way I talk, the way I do things, the way I walk, the way I get in the car, the way I look at my phone, my kids mimic everything about me. And don't you think your kids are gonna mimic the way you look at the scriptures and the way you read the Bible? And not to read the Bible in front of them to make a proud parent stance, but are you, are you ultimately and, and actively engaged in the scriptures? These rabbi, Jesus, begin to pray these over the kids that they would actively know and be engaged in the scriptures. A rabbi would bring their, their kid, or a, a parents would bring their kid to a rabbi, and the rabbi would pray that their parents would remain faithful in marriage. Isn't this a cool sight? It'd be like you guys bringing Stephen your kids and Stephen begin to, to pray over your kids on your marriage. Because we know and you know that one of the, if not the cornerstone of your kids, this is how reliable and how faithful your marriage is. When, when your marriage becomes broken, your kids become broken. When you and your parent, or you and your spouse begin to lose trust for each other, your kids and the next generation begins to lose trust in people. So Jesus and the rabbis, they would look at these kids and they go, man, I want them to know the scriptures, but I also want to pray for their parents' marriage. Hey, married people, maybe you need to buy the flowers again. Maybe you need to reinvent date night. Maybe you actually need to take a long walk on the beach at sunset. Because Jesus, the rabbis, the, the people who were the spiritual leaders of the time, and they, they were praying not only for your kids, they were praying for you because they knew that was such a big deal. And the rabbi would then pray this, that they, they would be known for their good works. Jesus or the rabbi, they didn't want you just to know the scriptures. They didn't just care about your marriage, but they also wanted you to live out what you were reading. So often in our life, just like Stephen talked about last week, we, we know the rules, we know what to do, but sometimes the heart hasn't caught up. So Jesus and the rabbis would pray, man, can you actually not just know it, but can you do it? If you have kids or if you're around teenagers at all, they'll call you out real quick. 
If you're trying to act it or if you're trying to fake it or if you're trying to tell them something that you don't believe, they'll call you out really quick. But the reality of our situation and the now gen or the next gen, sometimes they won't call us out, but they know. They know that you're a fake. They know that you're just trying to be the adult. They know that you're just trying to lead on, but they also know that you don't believe the things that you're trying to do or the, the the ways you're trying to live. If you knew Jesus was somewhere, what would you do? Would you want Jesus to pray these things over you or your children or the next generation? Wouldn't you gather up all of your kids, all of your neighbors? Wouldn't you shout out to the world like, hey, we had this opportunity to bring our next generation, our now generation, these up and coming stars to in the presence of the Savior of the world and maybe he'll pray over them? But are you ready for his prayer? Are you ready to live up to the prayer of Jesus are you ready to live up to the expectations of Jesus, knowing and believing? Man, you, you need to know the scripture. Hey, you need to work on your marriage, and you actually need to live it out. I don't think when we talk about kids throughout scripture, and we don't even know if parents were bringing these kids to Jesus, but I think a lot of times we, we think that, man, man, if I don't have kids, then this isn't for me. Like, if I don't physically have children, like, what... What, what can I do? I, I can't bring my dog or my pet to the rabbi or to Jesus. Like, what do I do in this situation? But I, I think throughout scripture, it makes it pretty clear that Jesus in scripture is not just re- referring to biological parents. I think he understands that, that some of us, some of you decided, man, the kids just aren't for me. I think he understands and empathizes and sympathizes to people going, really, Ryan? Like, we're trying everything we can to be able to have a child and lead a child in the right way. And God hasn't given us or blessed us with a child. I think he understands and empathizes with all of our needs and all of our wants and desires. But, but being a parent isn't just a biological one. Jesus was a spiritual father to, to hundreds of men and he was never a biological one. So he understands the, the command, he, he understands when he, when he preaches out and teaches out, like, hey, let the children come to me. Let the next gen, the now gen, come to me because Jesus didn't have a son on his own. The disciples rebuked him. They disapproved. They criticized. They told the parents off, and Jesus was indignant. He was angry. He was annoyed. The next generation, the now generation, kids coming up in the world were just of of complete significance to him. I mean, think about the disciples for a second. Disciples, the 12 men chosen to follow the king, the savior of the world. And then these little babies and parents begin to walk in and take, take away their time. You know what that's like, right? When you're trying to fight for time to the important person at your work. When you're trying to fight for time to kind of get in line to be seen by somebody so you can get the promotion. When you're fighting for time with your spouse or with your brother or with your dad or your mom and you're fighting for time and then somebody else kind of cuts in line and you have to wait back a little bit longer. Disciples were frustrated. Hey, Jesus, you're taking us on this mission that's going to change the world. You're leading us because your mission and what you're saying and what you're doing is going to revolutionize all the generations and generations to come. And you're, you're cheating on me for this little baby, this little kid. I think so often we get caught up in the daily rhythms of our life that, that we don't realize we're hindering those coming before us, that we're hindering those that are coming after us. 
I don't think it's on purpose that you wake up every morning and go, no, this is going to be about me. I'm only going to think about myself. I'm only going to think about my next move, my next conversation, and forget everyone that's coming after me. But Jesus says something very specific in this passage. He goes, do not hinder them. Are you hindering them? Not intentionally, not on purpose, but are you hindering them? The next generation, the now generation, the young ones. Hey, empty nesters, you've done it. (laughs) Your kids have crossed the finish line. They're out in the professional world. They're getting married. It's time to take your shoes off, kick them off, go on vacation and just read a book. But are you pursuing the next generation? Hey, dads, are you just so concerned with the next move, the next promotion, the, the next meeting, the next deadline that you're not purposely hindering those coming after you, but maybe you're hindering them. Hey, moms, maybe you're just trying to figure out how to keep the house in order, all the kids to practice, and you're missing spending time with them. Are you hindering them? I think the most important thing you and I could ever do is bring the next generation to Jesus. Did you hear me? I think the, one of the most important things that you and I can do is bring the next generation to Jesus. Because they're going somewhere. They're believing something. They're creating their own path if we don't create it for them. In Psalm 127, verse 3 through 5, it says this, Solomon, one of the wisest men in all of Scripture, he gives us some wisdom on the next generation. And he says this, he says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills the quiver full with them. Again, I don't, I don't think Solomon's just talking about biological parents here. I think he's talking about spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers. And he says, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, children are like little arrows. They have to be carefully shaped and formed. You don't just grab a twig or a branch and put it on a bow and send it somewhere. It's not going to go anywhere. You have to spend time and carefully sharpen the arrow and form it so it'll fly straight. Like I said, I have a five-year-old, three-year-old, and a one-year-old. My three-year-old Bradley, man, he's a man-child. If you've seen him running around this campus, he's wild. He's almost as tall as me, it seems like, but uh, he's three years old and he loves food. So at the dinner table, he'll eat his food and every now and then he'll look at Riley, my, my five-year-old daughter, his five-year-old sister, and he goes, can I have that? Can I have the rest, right? Like the old school days in middle school where you stick your finger in someone's food and go, do you want the rest of that? And they're like, no, dude, take it. Well, Bradley's picked up on that somehow, and it's not because I do it. Ashley, is that you? No, I'm just kidding. But Bradley, at the dinner table, he'll eat his food. And if you ever have dinner with us or at a restaurant with us, he'll eat his food, and he'll look at you, and he'll just put his finger in your mashed potatoes. He'll dig a hole in your roll. He'll just take your steak or your chicken and look at you like, do I have permission? I'm having to teach my child that's not appropriate. That's not the way you ask people for food. That's not the correct behavior you have at the dinner table. But so often what culture tells us is like, let let your kid choose. Like, come on, parent. Like, like you don't need to be that helicopter parent. Let let your kid choose. Let let your kid choose what religion they believe. Let your kid choose if they want to come to youth group or church on Sunday. 
Let, let, let your kids choose what they want to do or what they want to eat. And, and that's just crazy thought, right? But we, we start believing it. And some big issues in our lives, we want our, our, maybe our kids to have this independence for them to choose the right path. But in, re- in reality, if we actually took this concept, you know, our kids would turn out a disaster. If, if I allowed my kids to choose what they had for dinner or breakfast or lunch every day, you know what they would choose? Cheetos, cheese cubes, cheese pizza, and cheese dip. That wouldn't end well. Do you know what would happen to your kids if you just let them choose when they, when they wanted a phone, a smartphone? Do you know what happened to your kids when you just let them choose what apps to put on the phone? Hey, do you know what's going to happen to your kids if you just go, hey, I, I'm just going to let you choose what time you want to go to sleep tonight? We know it's just not going to end well. And we need to aim them. We, we need to create these arrows and, and aim them for what is true. We need to aim them for what is right. We need to aim them for what is biblical. We need to aim them for what Jesus is for. We need to aim them from turning away from sin. We need to invest in your nieces. You need to invest in your nephews. You need to invest in your neighbors. You need to be be able to create these arrows to fill your quiver full of them. And maybe your first step today is just, just to go grab an arrow. Maybe you don't have kids. Maybe you don't want kids. Maybe your kids are out of the house. Maybe you feel like you're too old or maybe you feel like you're too young. I encourage you to go go to a tree, grab a branch, grab a twig and begin to sharpen the twig and the branch. Create an arrow. There has to be someone at your school, right? There has to be someone on your street, right? Your best friends, they have kids, don't they? There has to be someone somewhere that's willing and wanting to be formed and shot in a specific way. I think there's three ways I believe that we can have, all of us can have an impact for the next generation. Number one, that we believe Jesus is over the next generation and we fall on our knees praying for them. Do you believe that Jesus is over the next generation? And so often being in student ministry for 15 years, I would talk to to parents and, and people of Gen X and the baby boomers and, and they would look at our generation and the generations to come and go, man, they're not like us. We at least had respect growing up. We, we had work ethic growing up. And you and I, we, be, we began to form these judgments for the next generation. And in our judgments, what we're saying is that we actually don't believe Jesus is over them. Do you actually believe, step one, That Jesus, not just because we're in church this morning, not just because it's a Sunday school answer, but do you believe that Jesus is over the next generation? And if you do, the expectation, the next move is that you begin to actively believing it, which is through prayer. If you believe in something, but belief without action, there's no belief. There's a story in Mark 5 that's pretty wild. Jesus was interrupted again. By a father named Jairus, his daughter was dying. Jairus was this religious leader, this Pharisee, a little bit what Stephen talked about last week. He was this religious leader. And some, some scholars actually believe Jairus, a couple chapters before in Mark 3, was conspiring with some other religious leaders to kill Jesus. So it wasn't like this, this guy kind of coming up and going, man, Jesus, I think you're the savior of the world. It's not like Jairus was Nicodemus sneaking through the back alleys and meeting Jesus in John 3. 
Jairus was this guy who was skeptical. Jairus was this guy that was just religious. Jairus was this guy that, that didn't really believe it. And he meets Jesus while Jesus is talking to a group of people. And it says this in Mark 5, 22. It says, then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And seeing him, seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may make her well and live. And scripture says, and he, Jesus, went with him. Jairus had a 12-year-old daughter. She was dying. She was sick. Jairus was at the end of his ropes. He was ready to throw the hell Mary. Do I really have to go to church? Do I really, am I really going to fall on my knees before the Savior of the world? And Jairus makes the bold step, walks in in the presence of Jesus as people are gathered around him. And Jairus falls on his knees before Jesus and goes, hey, look, man, I really need you. And not that I need you. My daughter needs you. My 12-year-old daughter, she's dying. My 12-year-old daughter, she's at the end of her ropes. This now generation, this next generation, I'm willing to fall on my knees and pray out and earnestly beg Jesus. Man, will you save her life? Now I get most of our now generation, it's not just dying around us, but it feels like that sometimes, doesn't it? When the now generation, they come home, they go straight up to the bedroom. When the now generation walks with the AirPods in their ears nonstop, they look like zombies walking around. Doesn't it feel like they're dying in the deep of their soul and their heart? And as we realize and as we see and as we acknowledge what's going on around us, what would happen if we fell on our knees before Jesus and begin to pray for the next generation? Not just your daughter, not just your son, but the next generation. Man, look at me for a second. This is Jairus, a dude who takes off work, who fights the crowds, who goes through rush hour and he looks at Jesus and going like, I, I don't know if I believe. But I think I should do this. Can you save my daughter? Hey, men, it's, it's not just the women's job to save the next generation. It's not just our wife's job. It's not just the mom's job to bring you and the kids to church. This man sacrificed. This man sacrificed public humiliation as he approached Jesus and begged Jesus to save his daughter, who was a part of the now generation. Hey, when is the last time you, even just, you just fell on your knees and prayed to Jesus? When is the last time you, you actively humbled yourself and said, man, I'm I'm not just going to say the quick prayer in the car. I'm not just going to say the quick prayer before I go to sleep. But like Jesus, I need something different. I need something bolder. I'm going to fall on my knees. And maybe you need to pray for you. Maybe you need to pray for your marriage. Maybe you need to pray for the next generation. But I encourage you in this next season and fall on your knees. Number two, gather up a crew. Everybody say, gather up a crew. Y'all are pumped about that. I love that. Why did Jesus care so much about the next generation? Because he just actually believed that they would change the world. He, he believed the next generation, the kids, the up and comers, that they would change the world. And, Jew, and Jesus gathered 12 men together. Many scholars believe they were young boys, teenagers. 
in Jewish tradition at age five, boys began reading the Bible at 10. They learned the Mishnah at 13. They learned the commandments at 15. They studied the Talmud at 18. They got married. Any 18 year olds? They're like, man. And at 20, they began their job, their pursuit of business. Only Peter was known to be married. And throughout scripture, Jesus refers to his disciples as little children in John 13 and Luke 10. In Matthew 10, he refers to them as little ones. In Matthew 20, the mother of James and John came and spoke to Jesus on their behalf. Have you ever gone to, to, to their teacher and spoke on their behalf to the teacher? This is what happened in the scriptures. And most historians believe that disciples were between 13 and 18 years old. They were teenagers. They were misfits. These teenagers ended up going all in. These teenagers, they, man, they were moody. They were flaky. They were tired. Some of these teenagers decided to give up. Some of the teenagers decided to go not believe. When Jesus needed these teenagers the most, they flaked on him. They turned their back on him. They ghosted him. All throughout scripture, these teenagers were just regular old teenagers, just like teenagers today. But something changed for them. As they saw this teacher, as they saw this rabbi, as they saw the savior of the world climb up on a cross and die for their sins, in the midst of the death, the disciples, the teenagers, they freaked out. This is too much. I can't do this without my savior, without my leader actually leading me. And Jesus died. And we see Thomas start doubting. We just see some of the other disciples running and fleeing. We see Peter denying. But then Jesus comes back. Jesus resurrects from the grave and Jesus begins to walk back with his disciples and he has this conversation with them in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain in which Jesus had directed them. Sorry, Matthew 28, 16. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What would happen if we actually believed in teenagers? What would happen if we actually had the belief that Jesus had? Hey, teenagers. Hey, basketball team. Hey, third stringers. Hey, JV, come here for a second. I have a mission for you. I I believe something deep for you. I'm leaving. I'm going away forever, but you 12, you 11, I believe you can change the world. I I know of a couple of 11-year-old boys that I believe are going to change the world. One boy's brother died of cancer six months ago. One boy's mom had her last round of chemo treatment last week. One boy, he he, he rides his bike. He's going to start riding his bike to church on Wednesday nights. Another boy, he just hops in the car with a family as they come in to church. And and I believe these boys are going to change the world. These 11-year-old boys who are coming on a Wednesday night to student ministry showing up. Man, they love Mountain Dew. They love wall ball. They love candy. They they love playing games, but they also love Jesus. These 11-year-old boys, they come and hang out with me every Wednesday night. 
They sit around our table and we either teach something or we watch a lesson and we engage in conversation. And man, you, you know, I mean, you know what these kids are going through. And these are church kids. These are kids who have good moms and dads. But they're struggling. They're struggling at school. They're struggling at home. They're struggling trying to figure it out and they need a leader. Men, they need someone to, to walk alongside them. They need someone to believe in them. They, they need someone to gather them up and go, hey, look at me for a second. I actually believe that you can change the world. They need someone that'll sacrifice. They need someone that'll leave work early on a Wednesday. They need someone that, that won't just have a relationship with them on Wednesday. They need someone that will be completely involved all in in their life. But ultimately, they, they, just, they just need someone to bring them to Jesus. Number three, believe that Jesus has chosen you. Believe that you are a chosen generation. I mean, all this can be tossed up in the air if you don't believe it. All, all this can be worth nothing if, if you don't believe that Jesus is for you. I, I get it, Ryan. The next gen. The now gen. I, I get it, Ryan. Like, I'm, I'm on my tail end. I've done all the good. I, I get it, Ryan. Like, we need to focus on them, but... But scripture is very clear. And scripture is very specific to you and I. And, and one of his disciples, Jesus' disciples, he says this in 1 Peter chapter 2. He goes, but you, everyone listening, this is for you. Online, this is for you. Peter, who was chosen by Jesus, who traveled with Jesus, who, who believed in Jesus. He goes, but you are a chosen race. And some translation says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Church, you have the same hope as the now gen. You have the same hope as the 13-year-old. It doesn't matter if you're an empty nester. It doesn't matter if you're Gen X, Gen Z, the silent generation. But Jesus, he's chosen you. He's sought after you. He's shown up for you. He took off work in heaven to come die for you. Jesus is invested in you. Jesus has heard you, but ultimately, Jesus, the savior of the world, man, he, he's chosen you. Silent generation, he's chosen you. Baby boomers, he's for you. Gen X, he's chosen you. Millennials, he's for you. And Gen Zers, he's for you. Jesus, the savior of the world, has chosen us. 
We've all, we're all chosen people. You're all loved by Jesus. I love what the scripture says. It says, it says you're a chosen generation. And the one thing that Peter asks us to do is proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. And that's your mission. Because once you were full of despair, once you were running up to your bedroom, you used to be the person walking around with not earbuds in your ears because they weren't created or invented yet. But your mind was racing faster and faster. And then someone, right? Somebody. Maybe it was Jesus, but maybe it was someone else. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was your child. They introduced you to this way of living that transformed your world and your life forever. And if you believe, if I believe that Jesus is for all generations and generations to come, we live out this scripture that we proclaim. We don't just say, we don't just write it down. We don't just put it in our Facebook bio, but we proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the light. Because once you were not God's people, but now you are his people. And Jesus is over all generations. Church, we partner and, and pray for the next generation together. Will you gather up a crew? Some people from the next generation, the up and comers. Maybe it's here down our nursery hallway. Maybe it's here on our preschool hallway. Maybe it's hanging out with young adults. Maybe it's at your workplace. And maybe you're finally gonna make the decision, I I'm done trying to rise the ranks. Maybe, just maybe, I'm gonna pour everything I have into this young dude, this young woman coming up after me. And if you wanna carry on the challenge of trying to, wrangle and wrestle some of the most amazing 11 year old boys you've ever seen in your life, come hang out with me this Wednesday. And I will in introduce to you the next generation, the now generation. And I believe, I hope you believe, they're gonna change the world. Can I pray? Jesus, thank you so much for this time. Thank you so much for believing in me, Jesus. Thank you so much for giving me hope. Thank you so much for, for pursuing me. When I felt Jesus I had nothing to offer, you sought after me. And Jesus, I, I just pray for man, everyone in this room, everyone online who just says, Ryan, that's a big ask. You want me to pursue and believe in the next generation. I, I don't even believe in myself. I pray Jesus that you'll just give him extra attention right now. I pray Jesus that you'll whisper in their ears that you love them, that you care for them, that you're for them, that you've died for them. I pray Jesus that they'll hear that they're enough, that they're worthy, that their mistakes don't define them. I pray Jesus that they hear that maybe they've been set up to fail. Maybe they've had a rough upbringing, but I pray Jesus, you'll tell them that you'll restore it, you'll redeem it, 
And I pray, Jesus, that people would enter into and walk into a relationship with you, believing, Jesus, that you believe in them. And one of the easiest ways just to begin that relationship with Jesus is just to pray. Just to ask Jesus, the prayer is not magical. The words aren't, aren't perfect. But maybe, maybe you today in this building or online just need to reach out to God and go, Jesus, I want you to be with me. I want you to lead me. I want to experience the love that you have for me. Jesus, help me follow you. The Bible says that if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that we're saved, that we're a new creation, that, that we're a chosen generation like Peter talked about. And, and we know that relationship with Jesus isn't just this personal one. This isn't just this secluded one. This isn't just a you and Jesus relationship. We need each other. That's why we gather here today. So it's a sign of and humbleness and it's a sign of sacrifice and a sign of being encouraged. If you prayed that prayer this morning, we, we want you to raise your hand. I'm not gonna embarrass you, but this is a sign, this declaration, go, man, I, I believe it. I'm going to believe it. Jesus, you're for me. So I'm gonna count to three online. And here, if you've prayed to receive Jesus, to follow Jesus, I just want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. You are a chosen generation. Jesus is for you. You will change the world. In Jesus' name, amen.